It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Billy Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, the Chicago Bears could have two of the first five picks in the 2024 NFL Draft. This isn't the first time the Bears have been in this position, and the football world lost one of those Hall of Fame picks last Thursday. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right. Yeah, got papers. Uh, I think I lost my pen, but I don't need it anymore. All right, here we go. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. Sit down, have a cot, have a chair. You know, whatever it is you need to uh, relax in to listen to this show. It's for you guys and gals. It's for all of you. And it's cool if you already know this stuff, especially for Chicago fans that are listening in the area. I know you know this stuff, but remember, there's always someone else who does not. So this show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we're here to do three things, and that is enlighten, teach, and learn. It is a Behind the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports and Belly Up Media. Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us out on bellyupsports.com. Check out the stories. Our writers are really good. Uh, Also, the merch, as well as all the other shows, especially this one. Make this one your number one, uh, especially if you're an NFL historian. So uh, you can check us out on that website and catch us on our home base of Megaphone. Also, the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, people like Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the almighty YouTube. So I'm working on my rundown. For those who don't know what the rundown is, it's my quick fix for the NFL fan that missed out on the week. And this time, it's the week five. Kick the music, the rundown. Thursday night football, Bears, Commanders, on the day that Dick Buckus died. Hours before they played this game, he passed away. The legendary Hall of Fame Middle linebacker, number 51 himself, passed away in his sleep. And look, there was no better way for the Bears to at least win this week. And they looked good doing it. Yeah, I had some friends that were nervous because the first half, they, the commanders were out-yarded. <laughs> if that's a word, out-yarded. I just made up a word. The Bears have an offense two weeks in a row. The first half, 
Chicago had 307 yards to Washington's 84. And DJ Moore, you know, he just, if you had him in fantasy, the guy smashed. And you know, one thing on NFL.com, according to we have, we have hours, he had like 54 points. Another one, I think, in uh, uh, ESPN, he had like 49. Either way, you slice it, the dude had a career day. What, 230 yards, three touchdowns on eight catches? But the Bears were desperate. They don't want to win 14 straight. They don't want to have 14 straight losses. It's just that simple. And they've been allowing the most points in the league. And, uh, I mean, the commander's fault. Sam Hardman throws for over 300. I think he was boarding on four, I believe. But, you know, he had a really good day passing the ball. But it was off or not. It just wasn't happening. Not on this day. It wasn't the 1940 championship that we talked about on last week. But it was good enough. Bears 40, Commanders 20. Sunday, jolly old London, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Jags and Bills. That's the Jags home stadium. I know they had Bills on in the end zone. I get it. But the Buffalo Bills defense, they just can't catch a break. I mean, no pun intended. Uh, You got Von Miller who just got back. He was playing, what, only in pass rush situations. Uh, Matt Milano goes out. You know, knee injury. I heard he broke his leg, but anyway, you slice it, he's out for a while. And not to mention, they were missing both of their starting corners. They just lost to Davis White to a blown Achilles. It's just not happening. It just wasn't happening. Offensively, the Bills can't get their first first down until the first quarter was ending. I blame it personally on jet lag. It was just that simple. And uh, the Jaguars, they looked like they were comfortable. You know, they've got used to being over there. And it was just one of those situations where <laughs> they had the upper hand. ETN with a buck 36 on the ground, two touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence, 315 yards. And Calvin really had his final coming out party and with 122 yards. Final score, Jags 25, Bills 20. Now, after the morning, Joe, we get to high noon. Titans, Colts, I'm sitting in, I'm at church, so I'm watching stuff as I can as I'm sitting at church, and afterwards we're having dinner, and uh, one of one of our um, pastors, uh, she, she's a widower, and uh, she, she apparently is a Titans fan, and she just cannot stand <laughs> Ryan Tannehill. I, I mean, I hated hearing that from her, but it's like, look, you know, the one mistake you can't make at the end of the game is throw an interception, you know, on a potential game-winning drive. But back to the top, Jonathan Taylor, he gets the extension that he wants for the Colts. Three years, what, $42 million, 26 and a half guaranteed. He's back and actually plays on Sunday. He only had 18 yards and six carries, right? His replacement, Zach Moss, he has a career day, 165 yards rushing. And as going back to the Titans, Derrick Henry, he's held in check, only 40 yards, you know, plus – and again, Tannehill, you can't throw that one interception, that one turnover. You cannot do it. It's just, it's not something that you can do. And he did it you know, at the end of the game. Colts 23, Titans 16. Oh, one other note. I mean, Anthony Richardson, he goes down with another injury. That's twice. He got the concussion. He missed the game. Now his shoulder, and he's out for a while. You know, I pray for the guy. He's just a rookie. I'm sure he's going to learn. Anyway. Saints, Patriots. Ooh, we ouch. I know it's week five. Okay, I know this. But if you're Robert Kraft at this point, what do you do? I don't even want to ask what Bill Belichick should do. 
because yeah, I know the guy has got he's got favor, but at the same time, as I adjust my mic a little bit, uh, I don't know. I mean, do do you do you keep this going? Or is this just a hiccup? You know, you probably do keep it going and and finish the season as best as you can. But I believe this is going to be the worst since he was with the Cleveland Browns, and uh, it's it's just not going to be good. It's not. Mac Jones gets sat down again, and this time you get shut out at home. It's bad. <laughs> After two more interceptions, and the Saints on their side, awesome day. Alvin Kamara, he's back on top of his game. Foster Moreau, the tight end, scores his first touchdown since he's beat cancer. That was awesome. <laughs> anyway, not good in New England. Great for the Saints. Saints 34, Patriots nil. Ravens at Steelers. I enjoyed that. I really did as a Steelers fan. I did. This game... The black and blue game. Pittsburgh just plays differently when they face the Ravens. Win or lose. Same thing for the Ravens. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you lose to the te- Texans one week, and then you come back and you beat the Ravens the next week. I mean, whatever it takes, though. Especially as a Steelers fan. That's my mindset. You block a Ravens point, uh, punt for a safety. Check. Joey Porter Jr. interception. Check. Two fumble recoveries defensively. Whatever it takes. And then the last one, uh, uh, courtesy, excuse me, of T.J. Watt off of Lamar Jackson at the end of the game. And, uh, you know, then you got to pick it to Pickens, 41-yard bomb to take the lead, and you get that sack fumble at the end of the game. I'll take it. 14 points in the fourth quarter. Whatever it takes. Steelers 17, Ravens 10. Texans at Falcons. C.J. Stroud sets the NFL record for Passes thrown without an interception. What, 177? And, uh, you know, he's playing great. But this week, it just wasn't enough. They almost won. They had a penalty that allowed them to kick the football again. Desmond Ritter, he surprised me. He throws for 300 on Sunday. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's see if he can do it again. The Falcons, they, just like Pittsburgh, score 14 points in the fourth quarter. And young Ho Koo, game-winning field goal stop me if you haven't heard that before it's like every year uh at least twice maybe even three times in a year but it seems to me at least twice a year he's doing that for the falcons which falcons 21 texans 19 panthers at the lions carolina they're still looking for the first win of the season and the search continues bryce young seems to be finding the best receiver on the team something i was going to suggest on last week yeah adam thielen Throw the ball to that guy. But the game was still a blowout. Dan Campbell and the Lions, they're still biting ankles. Jared Goff, he accounts for four touchdowns. He throws for three, runs for another. David Montgomery, a buck on nine on the ground. Sam LaPorta, he's attracted to the end zone. He scored twice. Thank God he's on my fantasy team. And the defense is real. And you see it, if you did not hear in the post-game locker room talk with Dan Campbell, that you're winning the games you're supposed to win. That's what you're supposed to do. And I do believe, and it'd be hard for them not to, the Lions will be the NFC North champions. Lions 42, Panthers 24. Giants, Dolphins. Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel, he's got that track team playing some really good football. Now, I hate that Devon Achan is not going to be around for the next couple weeks. He's doubtful. Um, I don't know, has he even been put on IR yet? I don't know with the knee injury. But these last, you know, couple of games, this guy's putting up Tecmo Bowl numbers. If you have never played Tecmo Bowl on the Nintendo or maybe even on the Genesis, but you had to play on, on the Nintendo. I'm sorry. 
go get one get tecmo bowl actually get tecmo super bowl and you'll know exactly what i mean time runs quickly you get five minutes a quarter and the time runs real fast and so if you ran the ball 11 times like a chan you probably had the 151 yards that he had on sunday that's how it worked averaging 13 yards a carry that's what it was offensively the dolphins they're on record pace 2,568 yards in the first five games, the most in NFL history. They're not slowing down anytime soon unless they play the Bills. They're going to have to adjust when the, the when they play the next time around, right? As far as the New York Giants, I had to – I was thinking it. I just never said it. Eventually, their quarterback, Daniel Jones, was going to get hurt, and that's exactly what happened in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, hopefully he gets better. Dolphins 31, Giants 16. Afternoon slate – Bengals and Cardinals, that's more like it. The Bengals offense, Joe Burrow, 300 yards passing. Jamar Chase, 15 catches, a buck 90 and three tubs. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to look, okay? Cardinals, Josh Dobbs hadn't thrown a pick yet. And then the Bengals got him twice. <laughs> and it was a 24 to 20 game in the fourth quarter. And you make those kind of mistakes, it, just, it gets you beat. And it did. That... <laughs> That uh, lead opened up to 14 by the end of the game. Bengals 34, Cardinals 20. Eagles and Rams, welcome back, Cooper Cup. You know, for a minute, I thought that the Rams had a chance to win that game. I really, really did. He comes out of the gate. Cooper Cup's got 100 yards, you know, fishing the game. Puka Nakua's not far behind. But for the second week in a row and another somewhat back-and-forth game the Eagles are involved in, you know, they go to 5-0. They win this football game. Jalen Hurts, uh, he has to run a little bit more this week, leading them in rushing. Then he throws for 300. And, uh, you know, on top of that, the Philly defense got it done. Four sacks and eight quarterback hits on Matt Stafford. And that's what happens. Philly 23, L.A. Rams 14. Jets Broncos. All right, so you want the truth on both sides? Here it is. The New York Jets offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. If you don't know, if you're not – Familiar, Okay, for those not familiar, yes, he was the Broncos' head coach. And, yes, he was terrible. He was. At times, he looked inept. He did. I mean, I understand that that's Aaron Rodgers' boy and everybody for the Jets is supporting him. They're supposed to. What are they going to do? What are they going to say? They're not all going to tell the truth, right? If you watched last season, the Broncos were not good in that 4-12 and season. And he looked at times like he didn't know what to do on the sidelines. And you're the head coach. You're responsible for some things. And look, he's supposed to be uh, you know, knowledgeable of these things. He's been in the league a while. I mean, he had some bad hiccups. And, of course, <laughs> Broncos head coach, while he was doing TV and then comes out of doing TV, he had time to observe that season when he was working. Um, and, um, look, he called a spade a spade in you know, a way he probably should not have. You know, he opened his mouth and basically said that that was a, one of the worst coaching jobs he had ever seen. And they got revenge on Sunday. <laughs> the Jets got revenged. It was, you know. So, I mean, I, I hate that. I mean, and the Jets, they're steadily improving. I, it was great to see. And I was rooting for the Jets. Fourth quarter, 24 to 20, and uh, 40 seconds left. Russell Wilson, he's rolling to his left, trying to escape the pocket. Quincy Williams gets the sack fumble on Wilson. And Bryce Hall with a scoop and 39-yard score. Ball game. And you see Sean Payton giving it to Russell Wilson on the sideline. He's like, 
Oh, God. I, I mean, I really felt bad, but look, that's what it was. And then that was it. Jets 31, Broncos 21. Chiefs, Vikings. The Chiefs, they seem to have made it a point to play close games this year. And one thing a great team knows how to do is win. You don't blow everybody out. I mean, the team on the other side gets paid, too. I say that all the time. The other team gets paid, too. They not get paid to necessarily lay down, even though the Broncos seem like they did on defense two weeks ago. But I'm just saying that, you know, it, it, it doesn't always happen. Yes, the the, uh, the Vikings, they're, they have one win, and they barely got that against the worst team in the league right now, at least the team with the worst record last week. But it's football. It's sports. It doesn't happen. You know, the Chicago Bulls, they weren't ever undefeated when they won the championship, and neither were the the, uh, the the Golden State Warriors. You know, there's only been one perfect team, and that was the Miami Dolphins. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But you know, it is what it is. To me, the best story of that game were two. There were actually two. Travis Kelsey rolls his ankle. He comes back, scores a touchdown. Justin Jefferson. Well, they're gonna be one great offensive player short for the next. Four weeks, next month, he's on IR with a hamstring pull. And, oh, Patrick Mahomes finally gets a W against the only team he hasn't beaten in the league, the Vikings. And his pops pitched for the Twins. Chiefs 27, Vikings 20. Sunday night football. Cowboys 49ers. Okay, you know, all the Cowboy fans that I talked to, I said it's simple. Look, if you win this game, it'll be because the defense played well and you kicked the field goal at the end of the game. If you lose, you'll get blown out. I hate being right sometimes. You got blown out. Dak looks worse. Three more turnovers through the air. They couldn't run the ball. They can't pass the ball. Lake Vanderesh goes out again, hurt. Hopefully he's okay. I haven't heard anything yet. San Francisco's a better team. Point blank, period. You know, it's a reminder. Last year's playoff win, you know, it was what it was. And it was worse this year. So, no Christian McCaffrey was not dominant. He only averaged, what, Less than three yards of carry, caught two passes. Whoop-de-doo. He did get in the end zone, though. George Kittle only caught three passes. All three of them went for touchdowns, and Brock Purdy torched that Dallas defense over and over and over. Marshawn Lynch, and over and over. Okay, I'll stop. 49ers, 42, Cowboys, 10. Monday Night Football, Packers, Raiders. I'm not going to lie. Five minutes left to go in the game. I caught myself dozing, and then the next, you know, I watched – I watched the game. I did. I watched the majority of the game. I think I probably dozed off about three minutes of it. But I saw enough. First thought, Raiders offensive line, they're not good, period. Can't run, can't pass, protect, not good. Stinks to the high heaven. I said, there it is, okay? Not sure what the difference is this year and last year. They can't run the football, but I like what Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, how they were talking about it. Basically, hey, you know, Derek Carr would throw the ball deep. And you had to lay off of being up on the line so much. But this year, Garoppolo's more of a short-term thrower. You know what I mean? He's not throwing the ball this deep. So you can play a little bit close to the line of scrimmage. Every time Josh Jacobs gets the ball, thank God he averaged over three yards a carry and scored a touchdown this game. But, you know, he had somebody in his lap every time he got the football. So it is. And I'm going to tell you all the truth. Matt LaFleur misses Aaron Rodgers. Can't convince me otherwise. Sorry, I don't believe that Jordan Love is it right now. He just, he really isn't. I know it's early and I may pay for those comments, but it's not looking good. Three interceptions, can't keep doing that. Can't do it, you know, can't do it. But uh, 
it is what it is. And then Devontae Adams only had four targets last night. And I don't know if that was because of Jair Alexander. Uh, I'm not sure. Did he shut it down? I don't know. Have no idea. But, you know, the Raiders get the win anyway. 17, Packers 13. Coming up next, we stick with the Chicago Bears talk. George Hallis, he stayed pulling a rabbit out of his butt, didn't he? When it came to trades and the NFL draft, sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't work. Uh, but he got some great Hall of Famers when he did these moves. And we just lost one of them last week. So I decided to do one of the few things uh, I, I need to do more of is go hang out with the fellas. All right. I hung out with, with two of my bros uh, and one of them uh, before my other other brother got to the restaurant. I sat with my Chicago Bears fan brother. His name is Byron. And uh, we got talking about football and stuff. It's Saturday. We're watching college football. Alabama's playing A&M and you know, got all these other games on the screen uh, at this bar and eatery place called Sport and Social over in Green Hills in Nashville. It's a great place, great food, loved it. Um, and he was actually asked me a question. He's like, look, if you had, I like Justin Fields, but would you trade him? You know, I'm like, I, I, I told him I would because you could get out of the deal. I mean, you could still get the Caleb Williams out of the deal. You know what I mean? out of USC and then you can draft whatever receiver you want whether it's you know Jordan Addison or whoever and then at the same time if they're going to kick Matt Eberflus out of picture which quiet as kept you know I heard that talk during the broadcast on Thursday night if they had lost that game lost their 14th straight game Eberflus was going to get fired I don't know how true that was but then you bring in uh, USC's head coach Caleb Williams head coach that followed uh, they followed each other from Oklahoma over to USC, Lincoln Riley. And you bring him in. Now, how, how that works, I, I don't know if it works or not. But anyway, you slice it, you know, it, it was an interesting conversation, but the Bears are just in a really, really good spot as far as the draft goes. Now, let's just be real. First-round quarterbacks and all, not all of them paying out. Most of them actually flame out more than they actually work, Okay. Uh, by the numbers is just it you know most time more times than not i believe that caleb williams is the real deal that's just me um painted fingernails and all this dude uh can can get things done through the air i i, I love this dude as a quarterback now you know whether that works out or not i'm not sure i'm going to do a show on that subject by the way it's just not right now so uh but it was real interesting just to see as I did some studying and digging. I'm like, man, the Bears seem to always be doing something uh, when it comes to the draft and everything. They always seem to come up with some big time picks when you when they weren't supposed to. And sometimes I guess you could say when they just they've been just as bad, then it happens. So the Bears, they've actually had a chance. You know, they, they got the chance this year to have the two first-round picks again this year coming up in the 2024 draft. And if you're from the uninitiated, we all, uh, those who know, the Bears ended up with picks from the Panthers. The Panthers, in order to draft whether it was going to be Bryce Young 
or C.J. Stroud. I wonder if they're rethinking it. Probably not. I don't know. I think that Bryce Young will be okay. He's just got some learning to do. Stroud is ahead of the curve, okay? But uh, they ended up trading their two second-rounders and two first-rounders and D.J. Moore to the Bears for the rights to that first pick. Now, depending on their final record, the Bears could have two of the first five, if not the first two picks, okay? If they finish terrible. We understand that the win on Thursday night, that was great. Congratulations. You know, that was that was great. Um, and I was I was happy to see them actually play well. But in spite of that win and the offense of improvement from Justin Fields and the Bears offense, you know, we'll see. But no matter what happens, here's my whole point. The Bears have done this before. Kick the music. So last week, we went into talking about the 1940 NFL Championship and that 73 to nothing beatdown of the then, remember, this is a historical show, excuse the term, the Washington Redskins at the time. Um, the Washington football team, as I refer to them from time to time. So, you know, this team ended up, this was the first of a dynasty of the 1940s for the Chicago Bears at the time in George Hallis. Four championships in six years. So the 1950s, they were kind of, you know, they were kind, seven winning seasons. They ended up losing a championship to the New York Giants in 1956, 47 to 7. That was a beatdown. Ooh, cough button. So you know, at the time, Hallis had taken a break from coaching. Patty Driscoll was the head coach. Bulldog Turner, Clyde Bulldog Turner. He's not playing anymore. He's an assistant coach. Clark Shaughnessy is no longer uh, just someone who's helping with the Bears offense and some defense because he had knowledge on both sides of the football. He's not coaching Stanford anymore. Now he's the defensive coordinator. And George Blanda, before he was actually old, <laughs> he was 29 years old and was the Bears quarterback. Of course, fast forward to 1963. Hallis, again, is the head coach. They win the championship in 1963 uh, over the New York Giants, 14-10. And uh, the uh, Y.A. Tittle-led New York Giants, right? And one of the important cogs in that championship was one George Allen. Yes, the same head coach of both the L.A. Rams and the Washington Redskins, the Hall of Fame head coach George Allen. Now, in 58 and 59, before I even get to that, actually, <clears throat> he was with the Bears. But before we even go there, go all the way back a year before in 1957. He actually was hired by Sid Gilman. Yes, another Hall of Famer who was a great head coach for the San Diego Chargers and also coached for the LA uh, Rams at the time. He hired George Allen to coach wide receivers or actually not wide receivers the ends okay he was coaching ends at the time and he was actually fired after that season and from everything that i read it was crazy and his wife etta his his widow had talked about how he was really being used by george hallis and the chicago bears basically they brought him in because they were about to play the rams after he had gotten fired in 1958 he said look we want you to come in they didn't even know he was at the game the Rams did not, and they was trying to get the audibles. <laughs> so, and it worked out. And then after that, he's like, "Okay, we're done with you. You go back, uh, go back home, and uh, and you can stay there." They didn't even officially show him as an assistant coach of any kind until 1964. And this is according 
to profootballreference.com. And so 58-59, he did coach on and off and was a personnel guy eventually for the Bears. Here's it. Here it is. So, again, uh, Allen had college football knowledge. Then there's a man by the name of Clark Mather. Mather was a coach for Kansas University at the time. And he had let Hallis and the Bears know how much knowledge that Allen had for this and I he had for college talent. And he's like, look, you would be a great players guy, you know, a, a, a great guy to, to, to scout, okay? And you need to probably hire this guy on. And Matthew also says that Allen should have gotten more credit for the players that were brought in that it, uh, actually attributed to the 1963 NFL championship. Now, they had guys like John Arnett and David Witzel. If you know those guys, you know, Arnett, I believe, was a running back. <clears throat> Witzel was a defensive back, that was, and they were brought in from other teams. Not to mention that George Allen had the Bears to draft Mike Dicker. Yes, the first actual tight end and a Pro Football Hall of Famer to boot. So he did that, and that was great. So they made it official in 1964, and he was one of those guys that were bringing in the players. Now, it didn't last long. Now, you have to remember, this is the 1960s. Lombardi had been hired by the Green Bay Packers, and they were actually in the midst already about 1965 to win three championships in a row, okay? So you have to also remember this. <clears throat> the purpose of the NFL draft, okay? This was all brought about by Burt Bell, who was the one-time NFL commissioner, right? Before he died, <laughs> uh, the guy in 1936, he, he had, that's when the draft actually started. In 1935, he was tired of his teams losing. Uh, Art Rooney was tired of his teams losing. And then Beth says, hey, why don't we have a, a draft, a, a college draft where us bad teams can have first dibs on the good players? And that's exactly what, what would eventually come about. But here's the crazy part. Let's take it back a little bit further, okay? It amazes me the trades and the finagling that George Hallis pulled off even against two of the worst teams in the league at the time and one of which that started to drought for the purpose of getting better i don't understand it 1939 we talked about that 1940 championship of course 1939 um there was a trade worked out for sid luckman to the rights to draft sid luckman ultimately they didn't know about this hallis had been scouting Sid Lugman at Columbia University. He's like, okay, this guy needs to, even though he's a halfback, this guy needs to be my quarterback eventually, right? He works out a trade. The Bears have the end, uh, have an end, a wide receiver by the name of Edgar. They called him Eggs Mansky. And Mansky was traded to Art Rooney and his Pittsburgh Pirates for that number two overall pick, which turned out to be Sid Lugman, the franchise quarterback that would ultimately be a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Okay, and then they also held the sixth pick. The Bears did, and they drafted Bill Osmansky. I mean Osmansky, who was a starting fullback. He ended up being the NFL's rushing leader his rookie year. And Lugman, who I actually did not know, didn't play a lot of quarterback that first year. Not until 1940 did he play it full time. But he was moved back and forth. Eventually, 
Hallis said, you're going in at quarterback. And that that was the rest is they say is history. And so in that draft, they end up with two two guys, one a Hall of Famer, one a, a really good uh player for the Bears for years to come. And then 1940, he pulls off another one. Hallis trades for the number two overall pick with Burt Bell for one George McAfee. McAfee ended up being the Pro Football Hall of Fame halfback. He was only 165 pounds. And I guess that's part of the trepidation that maybe even Burt Bell had. We know, and I read, that even Hallis had that, even though he brought this guy in. Now, McAfee, if you don't know, he was six foot, 165 pounds. Imagine putting Deshaun Jackson at running back. Yeah, somebody that small, that size. Okay, 165 pounds, but the guy ran a 9.7 in the 100 meter dash. He was fast. He was fast. He was one of those 4.2 running guys, and they didn't even give him the ball. They called him One Play McAfee, and they didn't even give him the ball that much because he's like, dude, every time we give it to him, I mean, ain't that the point to score points? Every time we give it to him, he's going to score. And look, I would take that, but he traded him to Burt Bell for a couple of tackles. Russ Thompson uh, and Milt Trost, I think was his name. And it, it, and that was, these two drafts were the base, part of the base of their 40s dynasty going forward. That's freaking amazing. I just, I still can't believe he pulled that out. Then you go to 1965. 1965, uh, they got a jackpot, all right? And it, it did kind of work in reverse, but they got a jackpot. Uh, they trade with Pittsburgh again, and they end up with the rights to the third overall pick, which turned out to be back-to-back -back Hall of Famers, the third pick and the fourth pick of the 1965 draft. You have to understand, they're two years removed from winning the championship, and they're trying to rebuild for another one. Okay, but this wasn't the same old Bears. Let's just be real. A lot of those the great players had been gone, uh, but here it was, George Hallis and uh, Allen, they put their heads together and they draft Dick Buckus, number three overall, and Gail Sayers, number four overall. Now remember, again, Lombardi, he's working on three straight titles that started in 1965. 65, 66, and 67 was his last three years with the Packers, and they won the championship all those three years. Crazy part is that season, he lost 31 to 10 to the Bears. <laughs> and Lombardi actually said the 65 Bears well, better than that 63 team. Uh, and, I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, I believe they finished with a winning record that year. But they draft Dick Buckus and Gale Sayers. And two of the greatest Bears of all time. Two Pro Football Hall of Famers. But again, it kind of worked in reverse this time. Instead of it leading to titles, it led to no playoffs. It, it just didn't. And I think it was a shame of it all. But look. They, they ended up with two great players and the one that we just lost, Dick Buckus, he actually was drafted not only third overall in the NFL. Again, you have the AFL. They're drafting players too. The Denver Broncos selected him in the second round and then those NBC dollars that the AFL had with their television contracts, they had two brothers that were owning the Broncos at the time and they were waving $400,000 in his face. Now, According to the books, <laughs> those the, that money was actually not what supposedly that money was not real. And Buckus didn't have 
an actual agent, but he had a lawyer that was working pretty much as an agent. And that lawyer told him that it's not real. It's a phony deal. We're going to sign with the Bears. And it made sense because Dick Buckus, born, I believe, in 1942, born and raised in Chicago. Born and raised in Chicago. All right. The youngest of nine siblings, south side of Chicago, went to Chicago Vocational School. And he had to take two buses just to get to school. He played fullback, linebacker. I also saw he played some center depending on the, the situations, but he also was the kicker and punter as well. The guy was an all-around great player in high school, and he was an All-American at the University of Illinois. From uh, 63 to 64, he actually finished uh, in Heisman voting, third in 1964, as a matter of fact, in Heisman voting. The guy was one of the best linebackers, one of the best players in the country. And in 65, as a rookie, Bed uh, Buck has led the Bears in tackles, interceptions. He had five for like 84 yards. It's pretty good for a linebacker, right? I uh, let let him enforce fumbles and fumble recoveries. Gail Sayers, his running mate, actually won Rookie of the Year. All he did was score a NFL record, a rookie record, 22 touchdowns. 22 touchdowns. I mean, you can't ignore that. And he was one of the greatest running backs ever. God, his, his career was cut too short. He played, what, seven years in the league? Had five great ones in a row before knee injuries got him. Uh, but as for Buckus, Buckus, he was just one of those mean players. And every video that I watched, everything I read, and even the stuff that I remember, the guy, like, tried to tackle you to kill you. <laughs> you know? But off the field, he was a gentle guy. You listen to the interviews of his family, his kids, his wife. He wasn't like that at all. On the field, the dude was a maniac. And I have one great story, you know, just how hard the guy actually hit. And just watching some of those videos, I'm like, how did he even live through them himself? You can't tell me he wasn't concussed. You just can't. Now, I had to grab my America's Game book, the NFL at 100, co-written by Jerry Rice and Randy Owen Williams. It's a great story uh, in here about one of the hits that uh, Dick Buckus put on a player Hall of Fame running back Floyd Little as a matter of fact just just how vicious this guy was but I thought it was pretty interesting uh, and I'm going to read this verbatim we were playing in Denver the weather was bad the game was tight and nobody was really moving the ball and the one play Buckus hit me so hard everything in my nose came out blood all over my jersey my, <laughs> my philosophy was never you know, was to never let them know they hurt you. If they find out, they're like sharks. They'll attack you. <laughs> They'll attack with greater intensity. This is Floyd Little talking about this. And here's the rundown. Well, Buckus hit me so hard, I jumped up and said, this is Little. Hey, man, you can still roll. Buckus says, you okay? Little says, they told me you were slowing down. Buckus, you okay? You playing like you're, you're you're playing lights out. You okay? Why do you keep asking me that? <laughs> Dick Bunker says because you're in the wrong huddle. This dude knocked him stupid. <laughs> like I'm looking over there by teammates who have their hands on their hips, shaking their heads as was the ref. The referee was shaking his head. <laughs> it was the first time I had to ever come out of the game, and this dude was he was a monster. You know, and and a lot of it was because I, 
just from what everything that I've gathered, he was playing on some bad teams, but he was never going to quit. He was never going to stop. All right, a five-time All-Pro, and out of the nine years he played, the first eight, he was a Pro Bowler every single year, except for that last year because he had a, a knee injury. The worst year that they had where they were 1-13, he was Defensive Player of the Year in 1969. You know, he finishes his career with 22 interceptions and a record 25 opponents fumble recovered, and he averaged 120 tackles per year. In high school, they said that he he um, he made 70% of their tackles. And I believe it was pretty much the same thing in college. It, the dude was, he, the guy was, he, he was just all over the place. But like I said, what stunk, Chicago never made the playoffs. And Buckus said that he would go into every training camp thinking, you know, we'll win. This year we'll win. This, you know. But the, but the question that I had to answer, uh, had to ask was why? And the answer that I heard was one thing was that, uh, and I was watching Sports Century on Dick Buckets. I, I gathered one bad drafting, and then on Sports Century, there was one person that talked about how they were a one-dimensional offense. It was all Gale Sayers, you know, and you can't win like that. And also remember, there towards the end, um, what, what uh, Dick Buckets, I mean, not Dick Buckets, but Mike Dicker eventually was traded away. So that took away one of your receiving options, the greatest tight end ever. Well, one of the greatest tight ends ever, I'm sorry. But I mean, you take away that and you're just a one-dimensional offense. You're depending on Gale Sayers. Defensively, they probably could have had more help as well. And it had to be frustrating. You had two future Hall of Famers playing their hearts out and it was their knees, you know? It got worse when Sayers hurt his knee in 68. He comes back. He hurt the right knee in 68. This, in 1970, he hurts the left knee. And he pretty much was done. And speaking of which, Buckus had bad knees. He couldn't even walk towards the end. He could. He didn't practice or do training camp. He just, you know, showed up for the games. But it was bone on bone, apparently. He was taking cortisone shots. And the doctor, Ted, the players called him Needles Fox. Uh, apparently, the team, the, the coaches weren't getting the story correct on Dick Buckus's health, which eventually led to that lawsuit. 1971, Dick Buckus had surgery on his knee and apparently it wasn't right, still wasn't right. Uh, and then the, uh, you know, he had to retire by 74. 73 was his last season playing. And he had a foul of, didn't want to, not against his hometown team that he loved and played for, a $1.6 million lawsuit breach of contract negligence all of that was in it um but it kind of ruined the relationship for a while between him and chicago thank god he and hallis made up the year he was put in the hall of fame in 1979 there was a book signing and apparently they kissed and made up then um and uh, i mean eventually down the road uh there were other things that he would do after football was over with i was glad to see it some i saw some obviously being 46 years old, I saw his TV commercials, his TV shows, uh, being on, now I didn't watch all of these $6 million man and Wonder Woman and Taxi Magnum P.I. who was making appearance here and appearance there. And he what, was in 11 episodes of the Blue Thunder TV series, which that I never watched. I only watched the movie with Roy Scheider. I love that movie. Um, but he did the movies as well. My favorite one was Johnny Dangerously. 
you know, the mouth on that guy. I, I love Johnny Dangerous here, and he was in that. Uh, the last Boy Scout, any given Sunday. He was on t TV a lot. I mean, he was one of the XFL guys they called in to kind of fire the people up. That only lasted a year. But, um, you know, there was the getting that fallout between Buckets and the Bears. You can always come home. You know, again, the things between Hallis and Buckets mended after that book signing. Uh, in 85, this is two years after Papa Bear passed in 83. In 85, he was a part of that, the Bears radio broadcast. He was the color analyst during that Super Bowl run of the 85 Bears. And fast forward to 1994, Halloween night. Both Dick Buckus and Gail Sayers had their numbers retired. Number 51 and number 40 retired. They were in attendance there. It was rainy. I still remember going sideways when I'm watching Monday Night Football against Green Bay. They lost the game. Bears did, of course. But, uh, I mean, it was what it was. But then I'm sitting at work on Thursday, last Thursday evening. My brother texts me and he says, Dick Buck is passed. I'm like, oh, God. And it was fitting. Hours before they were about to play, the Bears playing Washington. Passed away in his sleep at the age of 80. We lost Gail Sayers back in 2020. And, but it was fitting um, having me talked about the Bears in the Washington 1940 NFL Championship. You know, and then the Bears are going into Washington just like they did in that championship game. Uh, Thursday night football. It was great seeing Justin Fields and DJ Moore in that offense really, you know, play, play their best game to date and finally getting a win. Great way to honor his memory. But with all the great linebackers that played in his era, you know, the guys that played for like Green Bay, Ray Nitschke, uh, Dave Robinson, Leroy Jordan, uh, you got the Chuck Howleys, the Bobby Bells, the Nick Bonacani's, Willie Lanier, they also played for the Chiefs. Bonacani, number 85, playing middle linebacker for the no-name defense in the Miami Dolphins. Ted Hendricks, the stork, playing for the Raiders, and before that, <laughs> for the Colts. Uh, and then Jack Ham for the Steelers. These guys had championships. They all got a ring, Super Bowl ring. Dick Buckus, he deserved one as well, but, you know, players didn't move around like that. <laughs> they weren't chasing the ring. Not that I'm against that. It's just different these days. But it would have been nice to see him able to sign with another team and get at least one ring. But, you know, it, it was just great also seeing that you have a guy that played his entire football life, high school college and the pros right there in his hometown of chicago rest in peace 51 that's it references thanks to espn.com also profootballreference.com chicagobears.com ranking the best trades in bears history this written april 7th 2017 also throwdeeppublishing.com this written by alex kirby december 27th of 2022 George Allen, the one-of-a-kind character and football innovator. Also, a couple of books. Love this book, man. The more I read it, the more I learn. By Jeff Davis. He's the author. Papa Bear, The Life and Legacy of George Hallis. Also, The League, How Five Rivals Created the NFL and Launched a Sports Empire. John Eisenberg's the author. Again, Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams, co-authors of America's Game, The NFL at 100. Sports Century. Y'all remember ESPN Sports Century? That's some great stories. Dip back in there and read that. You know, I mean, watch that. And that was their Sports Century on Dick Buckus. And then finally, my eyes, ears, and my brain. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Belly Up Sports. Belly Up Sports.
Sports Podcast Network, also BellyUpSports.com. Check us out. Belly Up Media, baby. You know what I'm saying? Me, uh, Megaphone, that's our home base. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show, or I'll be forced to find your house. I'm out. Good night, Chicago. Thank you.